Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about insect bites and their effect on your health. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen into our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice. So don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven Nett as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Ron. So tonight we're talking about bug bites. I don't think I need to say anything more about that. We might as well just dive right in and deal with these little critters. So when you were dealing with bug bites or insect bites, as it's probably more properly called, which ones can be the most dangerous and which ones can actually cause longer term or more chronic type conditions? Well, you know, I found a couple top 10 lists of the deadliest biting insects. I'm going to use one of these and include some additional notable mentions. Okay. So let's count them down. Number 10 is called a bullet ant. And this is the largest ant in the world. And it's found primarily in the rainforests of Nicaragua and Paraguay. And the reason it's called a bullet ant is because its sting is so painful that it feels like you've just been shot. It's 30 times more painful than a wasp or bee sting. And it's also called the 24-hour ant because the pain from its sting usually lasts an entire day. All right, next up is called a bot fly. And this is definitely the grossest of all of these. Um, young female bot flies lay eggs within the skin of mammals. And the larvae then penetrate the skin and become parasites you know, just underneath the skin and stay there for about 60 days. Wow. So people can actually feel them moving under their skin. Oh, that is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. And if they <clears throat> burrow in the neck area, people have reported that they can hear them in that area because mm. it's close to your ears. Mm -hmm. So once the larvae d development is complete and they're ready to become flies, they then exit the body by eating their way out of your skin. <laughs> so this is something people should try to avoid. Yeah, I'm not going to take my next vacation and, you know, uh, those, those parts of the world where these are, you know, prominent. Right, for sure. okay. All right, uh, next up is fleas. And we all know, you know, about these with our pets. You know, they're really tiny. They're about the size of a, the tip of a pen. And they also bite people uh, too, you know, causing itchy spots on the skin, which can become infected. And they show up particularly around the waist, knees, and elbows. We then come to fire ants. And, I, you know, I used to have to deal with these when I lived down in Cape Coral and Fort Myers. Not so much here in Clearwater, except for the last place that I rented before buying my current home. Uh, these little, you know, red ants are very aggressive when they get on you and, you know, their stings are pretty painful and leave a white pustule that can last for weeks. Mm. 
and it can even cause some allergic reactions in people. All right, number six is the kissing bug. You know, this sounds kind of harmless, but it's actually a blood-sucking parasite that got its name from the fact that it likes to bite people on the lip, especially while they're sleeping, and particularly on babies and mouth breathers since it's attracted to its feeding sites by breath. Wow. Yeah. But what, what makes it really dangerous is the fact that it transmits a parasite called Trypanosoma cruzi, which can cause Chagas disease, which can be life-threatening since it kills an estimated 12,000 people per year, primarily in South and Central America. Okay, coming at number five is the giant Japanese hornet. This is found in Asia, and it's the largest hornet in the world, measuring two to three inches. This uh, carries a toxin that often leads to paralysis, kidney failure, and death, oftentimes a slow one you know, and people that, that get bitten by it. And, you know, these hornets are known to be very aggressive and fearless and repeated stinging from them can also re result in death. Okay. Um, you know, just like mosquitoes, they're attracted to people who sweat, drink alcohol, smell sweet, or are actually running. By the way, it's also nicknamed the murder hornet because a few dozen of them can decapitate and wipe out a hive of 30,000 honeybees or bumblebees in just hours. Wow. I know. It was spotted in North America for the first time in 2019, but fortunately, it doesn't usually bother people or pets unless it's threatened. Okay. All right, coming in at number four is tsetse flies, and these are blood-sucking flies in the housefly family. And they're found in sub-Saharan sub Africa. Uh, they've been known to transmit two different diseases. One of them occurs in people and is called sleeping sickness. And the other is a similar disease in domestic animals called nagana. Uh, sleeping sickness is a potentially deadly disease that's been kept under control in Africa now since the mid-1960s with only a small outbreak in the early 2000s. All right, number three is killer bees, and these are also known as Africanized honeybees. Uh, some of them have been crossbred into the American honeybee, making them more aggressive and unpredictable. Uh, they're very, very territorial, and they protect the queen with their life. So if you piss them off, they tend to attack as a group and have been known to follow people for more than a mile. Wow. Yeah. Now get this, they mainly like to target the face and eyes. And even though their toxin is not as potent as other stinging insects, if enough of them sting someone, they could actually cause serious allergic reactions and potentially death. Okay. All right, number two is what are called driver ants, and they're native to the Congo in Africa, and they get their name because they're always on the move. They have the largest colony of insects in the world, numbering in the millions and up to 22 million per colony. Hmm. The problem with these is that like killer bees, they attack as a group and have incredibly strong mandibles or jaws, and they can actually kill thousands of different animals within a single raid. There, there's so many of them that they're always moving since they need a new you know, food source every few days. And the most common victims are tethered animals, caged chickens, researchers from remote locations that are unaware of them, and infants that can't escape a massive invasion. So Native Americans have learned to move from where they live when these ants march toward their communities. And then they return after they've left with the one benefit of them clearing out any pests in the area, kind of like spring cleaning. Yeah. And finally, number one is mosquitoes. 
The reason is they carry many life-threatening diseases, including dang fever, yellow fever, encephalitis, the West Nile virus, and of course, malaria, which has about 500 million cases per year and 1 million deaths annually. Amazing. So, mosquitoes are number one. Now, I, I mentioned, you know, there's some notable mentions and many of them happen to be, you know, bug bites that were historically more troublesome in the past. And they include, you know, I'm just going to list them here. I'm not going to go through these in detail. Okay. So they include locusts, bed bugs, scabies, lice, deer flies, house flies, and of course, cockroaches. Yep. Okay. So those are the different ones that are most problematic these days. And what are some of the conditions that are caused by those kind of insect bites that might easily be assumed to be something else? Well, you know, there's quite a few, but I'm just going to briefly go over two of the more common ones. Okay. So bed bug bites can be a real challenge to diagnose because their appearance on the skin is difficult to distinguish from the bites of mosquitoes, fleas, or other insects. Uh, their bite marks on the skin can also take one to 14 days before you can see them. And that really makes it tougher to diagnose them as insect bites. Because usually, you know, when you get bitten, you can see uh, the bite right away and you can, you know, put two and two together. Right. You know, plus you likely won't feel bed bugs biting you because they inject an anesthetic and anticoagulant when they bite you. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. So pretty much the only way that you'll know for sure if your symptoms are definitely the result of bed bugs is to find the bed bug infestation in your room or furniture. And this can also be challenging because they do a nice job hiding from light. So it's best to check for them just before dawn when they're most active and focus on looking in the folds and seams of mattresses and sheets. Yeah, because there was a whole outbreak of bed bug issues. I think it was in hotels in New York, if I remember correctly. Yep. There have been several of those in recent times, actually. Mm -hmm. All right. The other one I want to talk about is Lyme disease, which is caused by a bite from an infected tick. And it can cause fever, headaches, and fatigue that's similar to flus and other infections. So one of the things that helps in diagnosing this is a distinctive skin rash at the bite site that looks like a circular red patch or a bullseye. Hmm. Now, patients who are treated with antibiotics in the early stages of the infection usually recover quickly and completely. But if it's left untreated, the infection can spread to the joints, heart, and nervous system. And that's the real problem with Lyme disease is it's off, you know, it often takes a long time before it's properly diagnosed and that allows major problems to occur in the body. The reason for the diagnosis delay is twofold. Uh, first of all, many traditional doctors are not thoroughly trained in diagnosing Lyme disease and they don't always look for it. And, you know, which obviously will end up delaying the correct diagnosis and proper treatment. And secondly, you know, it can take up to two months after being infected for the antibodies to show up on a blood test. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. That is. So, you know, a lot of the tests that they, they say they're not accurate, but it's basically because, you know, they may have had it too soon and they have to retest. And, you know, I believe we're going to do a future podcast on Lyme disease and other similar conditions from bug bites that can cause flu-like symptoms. And that includes the West Nile virus, which is transmitted by mosquitoes, and Rocky Mountain spotted fever, which just like Lyme disease is spread by tick bites. 
Yeah. And I might add malaria to that list because I hadn't thought of that before. And that is something that people do have to be aware of, especially if they travel in certain countries. Right. It's fairly common. Yeah. And we are going to be doing an episode on those specific diseases. That is correct. All right. Now, why would different people have different reactions to certain bug bites? If it's the same venom or the same poison that's being injected into their system or under their skin, why aren't the reactions basically the same? That's a great question. But the simple answer is the fact that we all have different individual immune systems. So, you know, the immune system, again, is the body's defense system. And, you know, when you're under attack by a foreign invader that bites you, such as a mosquito, your body will then release inflammatory substances, including histamine, at the site of the bite to counteract the foreign enzymes in the saliva of the mosquito. And the more histamine and other inflammatory chemicals that are released, the more that spot swells and itches. Some people have more exaggerated immune responses than others, which creates more uncomfortable reactions, uh, sometimes as severe as anaphylactic allergy reactions or anaphylactic shock. And for more information on anaphylactic shock and other types of shock, we did a whole episode on that, and that was podcast episode number 45. Mm -hmm. And some people react dramatically to only one insect, you know, for example, mosquitoes or bees, or to several insects, or to all of them, or to none of them. So it's very, very different from person to person. That is interesting. All right. Well, most people, by the time they'd be listening to an episode of a podcast like this, they would know which insects they probably would and wouldn't react to. True. Now, what's the most important thing to remember if you've been stung by a bee or some other insect that has a stinger that's left behind with a sack of poison attached to it that just pumping into your body? Well, I mean, first of all, you should try to remove the stinger immediately as soon as possible. Because the general rule is that the longer a stinger remains in the body, the more severe the reaction will be. And that's because the longer a stinger stays in, the more venom it can release and the more painful it is for the patient. And basically, getting a stinger out isn't rocket science. I mean, you know, you just pull it out with your fingers or use tweezers. Or you can scrape your fingernail across it, just brush it off, or you know, just get it out any creative way that you can. And then after that, you just wash the area with soap and water. And if there's any blood, which is you know, there shouldn't be, and that's pretty rare. Uh, but if there is, then you should disinfect that with either hydrogen peroxide, rubbing alcohol, or antibiotic cream. So I'm going to share something to add to that, that is info that we, I got from Elsa. Mm -hmm. She was going over as far as the stinger, when the stinger is in and it's got the sack of poison there, that you don't just pull it out. Because if you do, then you'll probably squeeze the sack of poison and just dump it all into your system all at once, which will make it worse. So she said there's a couple ways of doing it. One is you use your fingernails and you put them under the sack onto the stinger and then lift it out. But she said the other thing is that um, you can use a credit card or a driver's license and use that and put that underneath the sack of poison or venom and then use that to flick it out. But you want to make sure you don't just grab it and squeeze it and pull it out because that's where the poison gets really dumped into your system. Okay, makes sense. So just always make sure it's under the sack when, when you're trying to get it out. Exactly. Okay. So if somebody's got an allergy to bee stings or wasp stings and bites, is it epinephrine that you should be using if they ever get stung or is it something else? 
Well, again, that depends on how much of an allergic reaction the person has, you know, based okay. on their, their immune system. So, you know, if you only have a reaction of mild swelling at the sting site, then a cold compress or an ice pack should do the job. Uh, if you experience any pain, you know, they can take uh, an over-the-counter medication like ibuprofen, Tylenol, or aspirin. But make sure you never give aspirin to children under 19 because of the risk of developing Ray's syndrome, which can cause problems, you know, with the liver and brain. Uh, safe alternatives include fish oil, turmeric or curcumin, and enzymes on an empty stomach like Wobenzyme. Okay. Uh, if you experience itching, you can take an over-the-counter antihistamine like Benadryl or use a topical steroid cream. Uh, my two favorite natural remedies are silver water first aid gel, you know, because it's a great topical for many things, including insect bites like bee stings, since it creates a, a nice cooling effect and helps with other symptoms like pain and itching. And the other is activated charcoal, which can help bind any toxins that get into the bloodstream and intestines. And it can, you know, potentially save you a trip to the doctor or the hospital. Excellent. I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Okay. In the next few weeks, when you have time, make a list of these various different supplements like activated charcoal and silver water and silver water gel, things that aren't specific, like there's specific supplements that you recommend for say women that are having menstrual problems, or if you if somebody has digestive problems or things like that, those are more specific for specific people or specific conditions, but you have several the flu terminator, other things like that. I think it would be nice to have a grid or a chart that shows all of these and all the various different conditions that they can be used for and why they'd be good to have in like your house in a kit for use in case these different things come up. And then it would be good to provide for your patients and then maybe also put a link in one of our episodes for people that listen to the podcast so that they can look at these, this list and say, you know, I should really have this, 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 and this. Sounds like a smart thing to do. Yeah. So why don't you work on that? And then when we have that, we'll let everybody know on the podcast. And that way they can check it out or call the office or whatever they want to do. So now getting back to this, when is it that somebody should seek help or call 911 or go to an emergency clinic? when they have a bug bite? Well, if you have several stings at one time or you have a severe allergic reaction, then that's when you'll probably need medical assistance. Uh, if you have an anaphylactic reaction, then you should definitely call 911. And common symptoms associated with this include difficulty breathing, hives or swelling, swelling of your lips or your tongue, swelling or tightness in your throat, nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea, dizziness or fainting, a rapid heartbeat, low blood pressure, and stomach pain. Now, if you have a known bee sting allergy due to having a severe reaction in the past, or you've tested positive for it, you know, there's actually a skin test as well as a blood test for it, then, you know, it would be wise to have prescribed epinephrine auto injectors or pens handy. And it's best to carry two at all times just to be safe and always make sure, you know, they're up to date because they do expire. You know, they're really easy to use since you can inject yourself or others immediately. And after doing so, you should also call 911 right away for more treatment. Okay. Uh, another important point is 
don't wait if you start to have symptoms of anaphylactic shock because time is of the essence. And even if what you experience doesn't turn out to be allergy related, using the EpiPen won't harm you. Okay, good. I should probably get some of those because I did have reaction yes. to bees when I was younger. I was going to suggest that. Yes. Hey, maybe that'd be a good Christmas gift. <laughs> okay. Gee, how exciting. What Jeez. did I get this year? Oh, two EpiPens. <laughs> All right. So now, is there anything people can do to prevent insect bites rather than just trying to deal with them afterwards? Sure. You know, let's start with mosquitoes since they're the most common biting insects that we deal with, especially here in Florida. Although when I was up in Alaska, they had mosquitoes the size of birds up there. And I heard they're pretty big in Minnesota too. Yeah. Well, they are almost a state bird. I think That's the right. loon is the state bird. Yeah. And then it's the backup bird. That's right. Well, first and foremost, uh, you should use an insect repellent. And, you know, I'm not a fan of the commercial ones sold in the stores, which contain potentially toxic chemicals. So as a nice, effective alternative, you can rub on some essential oils, including oil of lemon and eucalyptus. You can go to the Environmental Working Group site or their app and check on various insect repellents too, because they'll tell you if, they, if it does contain any toxins or harmful things that can cause sensitivities to the body. Next up is wearing long sleeves and pants, uh, which is a pretty logical thing to do since this limits the area available for mosquitoes to bite. And since mosquitoes are attracted to black and darker colored clothing, because that helps camouflage them, it's also smart to wear light colored clothing if you're going to be out when there's potential mosquitoes. You should also avoid going outside at dawn and dusk since these are peak mosquito times. And since mosquitoes thrive in areas where there's standing water, you should eliminate standing water in places like gutters and buckets, you know, around a house, and also change water in wading pools and bird baths frequently. Yeah, and if you have a pond, because I know a lot of the apartment communities and county communities in your area have these big ponds, they also have a fountain in them. And the fountain keeps the water circulating so that it isn't standing water. So if somebody has a pond in their backyard or something like that, you do want to keep the water circulating somehow. Yep. That's where you want to maybe have like a little waterfall or something. It's a good mm -hmm. excuse to build a waterfall. There you go. And then the one thing I've been guilty of doing is leaving doors open without the screens in place. And that allows the mosquitoes into the house. So obviously... The same goes for windows, and so just make sure that the screens are in good shape and they have no big holes in them. Now, as far as bees are concerned, you know, you can lower your odds of getting stung by them by avoiding brightly colored white or pastel clothing, and that's a lot different from mosquitoes where, again, you avoid darker colors. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, you should also avoid using cosmetics or perfume with floral scents since those tend to attract bees. You know, bees go to flowers for pollination. So if you have something that smells like a flower, you know, that wouldn't be too smart. Right. And of course, you know, we've all experienced bees, especially yellow jackets. When we used to live up in, you know, the north in Ohio at picnics and cookouts, since they're also attracted to food odors. And, you know, so you should definitely be on the alert when you cook and eat outdoors. Uh, in a future podcast, when we cover Lyme disease in depth, I'll go over how to avoid tick bites. Okay. Yeah, and then there's other things that people can do. If I remember correctly, at one point I heard that taking B-complex will cause you to 
like when you perspire, there's a certain odor that comes out that insects just don't like for whatever reason. Like you said, it, they're attracted to sweet smelling things and people who perspire. So for some reason, bee complex seems to do something about that. And then the other thing is citronella candles mm-hmm. and bug zappers. I mean, that's there, true. There are different things that people can do, especially if they like to spend time outside at their home. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, very good information. So that is the insect section of this whole topic. Is there anything else you'd like to say about that before we end? I guess that'll wrap things up for this week and we'll continue along these lines with more interesting critters next week. Yes, we're going to be dealing with the S's next week. The scorpions, the spiders, and the snakes. And those are things that are, you know, your area and my area of the country. Not so much necessarily in northern parts of the country except for spiders. And those are different in different parts of the country because when we were in school in St. Louis, you remember the spider that was the big thing we had to watch out for there? It was a brown recluse. Well, we have those here in Florida too. True, but we didn't have those back in Cleveland. No. So there are different of these critters in different parts of the country. So next week, like I said, we're going to be covering all the S's, spiders, snakes, and scorpions. So... I'm sure that everybody's excited about that and they'll be thrilled to join us. And then after that, we'll get into those different conditions that we talked about, go into a little more depth about that. Yeah, there's some good uh, music references on what we're going to be covering. What, Scorpions? Spiders and Snakes, remember that song? I don't like spiders, Jim Stafford. I don't like spiders and snakes. And then the Scorpions are a rock group from Germany. Correct. So there you go. That's true. So it's a music-themed episode. All right. All right. Thanks, Steve. You got it. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week.